Today is Monday, October 14th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 336, featuring Yahoo Sports NBA writer and Celtics blog contributor Keith Smith, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% bonus. Hey, what's up? Welcome into another edition of Celtics Beat. Kaufman with you. Thanks for rolling with the punches with us. Normally, of course, we release the show on Sundays. I appreciate some of you checking in on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman, wondering where the heck this show was, but we decided to hold off a day just for the sake of having another preseason game to discuss. So, three under our belts and one more to go, and then the regular season gets underway. This show is mainly going to boil down to two things. C's 3-0 and with, again, The one game left tomorrow in Cleveland, which should be another win and should be probably another massacre after what we just saw. And uh, then the regular season begins a shade over a week away, October 23rd in uh, Philadelphia, a week from Wednesday. And uh, of course, well, there's there's this. That's right, Celtics fans, your prayers have been answered. Danny Ainge gave Taco Fall his contract. I know a lot of people were worried about it, a lot of concern, but it happened. It's a two-way deal. That means, A, he's going to spend most of the year in the G League playing for the main Red Claws, and B, this will allow the undrafted product from UCF to spend a maximum of 45 days in the NBA this season when fans will, uh, what's that, Tommy Heinsohn? This year is going to get a little out of control. He's a cultural phenomenon, already hasn't played a single official minute in the NBA, but here we are. And here this guy is, Keith Smith, covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports, covers the Green for Celtics blog. He's a good friend of this program. How are you, man? You ready for the season? I am, yeah. We're almost there. It's hard to believe, right? Sneaking right up on us. Yeah, well, after the off season that would never end in the World Cup, it kind of feels like we just went straight through. But but I'm ready. I'm I'm ready for real basketball instead of these, uh, you know, pseudo basketball that the preseason becomes. But are you ready for Taco Fall? <laughs> I, I, whether I'm ready or not, we're getting it. So <laughs> so I guess we need to be. Well, here's what uh, both Taco and Brad Stevens had to say about this new two-way contract. It's another opportunity for me to uh, keep proving myself. Um, I've worked really hard to get to this point, so I'm really fortunate, you know, to be in that position. And I'm just, I'm going to keep fighting, you know, to uh, keep showing that I can play uh, in, in the NBA and uh, keep getting better. Just keep working. Keep your nose down, keep getting better. And he's got a lot of things that he can do that you can't teach, that's obvious. But he also has to really get up to, you know, the speed of the NBA. So Fall talked about his growth under Stevens and his staff, how he's less raw than when he arrived, comfort in the organization, now knowing where he's going to be for a little while, how much he loves his teammates, all of that stuff after the deal was announced. And that's great. But I'm I'm gonna ask a question that I think some wonder anyway, which is how much of this signing is the C's truly believing in Falls a prospect, and what percentage do you think is PR just given the early infatuation with a, a seven and a half foot man named Taco? I think it's that they see something in him as a real prospect. I don't think Danny Ainge is the kind of guy who does, you know, PR stunts. If he was, he wouldn't have traded Isaiah Thomas when he was hurt. He would have kept Paul Pierce. I think he is the kind of guy who it's about winning. And if they think having Taco Fall in Boston and developing him 
between the Celtics and the Red Claws is the right thing to do to get him to be a productive NBA player, then they're they're going to invest that that time and effort. And they're, they're not going to spend a lot of time on, hey, this is a feel-good story. Let's just get there. That's the kind of thing you do with you know a week left in the season versus doing that right off the jump as the season's getting kicked off. So what do you think the short and long-term NBA potential is then? Yeah, I think your hope is that he can eventually develop into an elite rim protector, obviously, with the you know ridiculous size. And he, and he moves very well for a guy that size, too. It's not not extremely fast or anything, but he can get up and down the floor. And then the G League time, I would imagine a lot is going to be spent on him learning how to defend in the NBA. They don't call a lot of defensive three seconds in the preseason, and it's a good thing because I think he's in there for about 10 seconds every possession right now because he was very used to that at UCF, kind of hiding in the lane, hanging out by the rim. So what they're going to do is teach him how to play NBA defense and then probably work with him on a handful of post moves and then obviously just his body getting stronger and the like because despite being so big, he still gets pushed around fairly easily. I do think some people forget just the fact that, of course, you know, you do so much work covering the Celtics and and have for many years and and in many ways are identified with covering the Celtics. But home base for you is Orlando. So, you know, not only do you have the opportunity to go watch Taco Fall play in that arena, albeit not very many minutes in the Celtics preseason game, but UCF, that's Orlando. So uh, how familiar were you with him throughout his college run and, and as a prospect, albeit undrafted, to where he is now and just watching? Watching his growth and maturation. Yeah, I got very familiar with with Taco Fall and that whole experience here with UCF. In a lot of ways, he was one of the bigger recruits they ever landed. Not not just physically, <laughs> that, that's obviously true. But he was, you know, a guy who came in and wasn't just. A lot of times, these guys who are this big, they're they're just kind of sideshows, and you're hoping maybe we can make something out of this guy, but probably not. You know, but we'll try. But he came in as a legit player. UCF really worked with him, really worked hard on developing him. I got, I got a chance to see him play a handful of times over at UCF. And then, obviously, as you said, in the preseason the other day, and then I got to see him up close and in person in Las Vegas at Summer League. So mm-hmm. what's remarkable to me is how far he's come from the end of his senior season at UCF until just this past week. It really is crazy that he is – He's moving better. He is already, you can see he's stronger. And then you can see him, you know, starting to understand just how to play because I think that's just something that's been lost on him to this point. When you talk about how far he has come since the end of his senior year, beyond what you just said, can you get more specific and, and just some of the things that people should look for? Yeah, I think what, what you're looking for here is that he's not getting pushed around as, as far as physically. He is huge, but he's still very, very skinny. And you can see on the defensive end, there are times the good teams with, with maybe two bigs or, or a uh, bulkier forward type, they'll, they'll screen him off and get him out of plays, and that's how you can negate some of his protection at the rim. He's starting to learn how to, one, navigate that, plus he's stronger to be able to get through that. The other thing that he's able to do on the offensive end is he was never able to remotely try and back anybody down because he would get the ball in the post and people would just stand him right up, which is why I think he actually developed fairly good touch about to eight to 10 feet for him, which that's, you know, at that point, that's he's starting to reach kind of close to a layup for a lot of other guys. Hmm. 
but he he has that. He he has a nice. It's, I don't want to call it a turnaround because it's more of a turn and face around because it's still a very slow shot. But no one can get to it. There's not a player in the league that's going to be able to block it. So as long as he can keep working on that, his positioning, not getting pushed off the block on rebounds, those are the things that you're seeing start to come a little bit more for him instead of just just relying solely on his size. Now he's starting to really understand how to play the game. Well, it's something that'll be nice. Obviously, in the preseason, we haven't seen him play a ton. He's been very effective while he's been on the floor, whether it's blocks, steals, obviously points, effective shooting, because everything is on the inside. He's not out there taking threes or anything like that. He he has been an efficient player. He's He doesn't come in and play meaningful minutes. He comes in at, in garbage time, largely. And if he plays some, some time in the NBA this year, as we all expect, it's going to be more of the same, probably. And he averages, you know, five minutes a game, something like that. But it does go without saying, and... Taco said it. He looks forward to being in Portland, actually playing a lot of minutes. It's always better to be on the court than to be on the bench. Uh, that's, you, you don't get better not playing. You get better playing basketball. And like I said, so that's an opportunity for me to keep playing, to keep proving myself, uh, keep improving a lot of areas where I need to work on. But Keith, I think now that he has this deal, what everybody is wondering is how many games do you expect Taco to play in Boston this season? I would be surprised if it was much more than 20 or so. I, I think the, the, the challenge one is once the NBA G League training camp kicks off, which is about three-ish weeks after the NBA season tips off, they play all the way through that team's season ending. So when the Red Claw season ends, whether that's in the regular season or the G League playoffs, those players can only be up with the NBA team for 45 days. And that's 45 days. It's not 45 games. A lot of people think that's games, but practice days count. So, so that's where that's going to be a little bit tough. Unless there is a huge rash of injuries amongst the big men, there's just not going to be a lot of reason for the Celtics to have him active after, say, about early to mid-November all the way through till about the end of March when the G League season wraps up. So I don't think we'll see him all that often in Boston. I think the whole goal this year is to really get him to Maine and develop him there. I'm surprised you even said 20. On the show last week, we were talking about this a little bit, of course, before the deal was official, and and I put the number on 13, and even that felt a little bit high. I'm probably doing a little bit of self-preservation here. So <laughs> when this when this post, I, I don't want a bunch of people calling me a Taco Fall hater, which I've already had, just because you know <laughs> I, I kind of acknowledge the little bit of the all right, yeah, he's huge, but you know where are we going here with this? So it's just you know when I look at it, your probably your number is probably closer to realistic. When, when you look at it, he is clearly behind guys like Daniel Tice, mm. Robert Williams, Vincent Poirier. Um, uh, Ennis Cantor, like all those guys, even guys like Grant Williams, Semi Ojale, those guys are better options right now as small ball bigs. And, and it's just, it's going to take time for him to really figure it out and learn. So, you know, maybe we see him on occasion at the beginning before the G League season gets kicked off. If there's, you know, a game or two where guys need, need to be out for something, they're nicked up. Uh, and then at the end of the year, maybe that's when the Celtics start working them in. And those are meaningful games. If they're meaningful games, we're probably not going to see him often, if at all. I'm glad you mentioned all those guys because that's where I want to take this conversation now, to those bigs. And the big man rotation uh, a few games into this preseason, is, it's getting some questions. You know, we've seen a lot of looks. Robert Williams has, has seen some time, obviously, and his canter as well. Daniel Tice had a couple of starts. Not much Vincent Poirier just yet. Brad said this is a, a work in progress. They're a little bit unique. Um, Tice, Williams, and Poirier all 
can create a real threat on their roles at the rim, way above the rim. That is a uniqueness. You saw even in Vincent's six minutes, um, he flew into screens and he flew out of screens, and that's a skill and something he's practiced. He's the least um, probably up to speed of the guys as far as what we're trying to do, but he's trying really hard to catch up, and he'll play a lot more on Tuesday. Evaluating all five of those guys is hard because – you know, we're going to play one of them, usually. We might play two of them at times against certain teams, but usually just one. So, Keith, entering camp, to me, it was it was a foregone conclusion. Cantor was going to be the opening night center. It just, to me, that, that seemed to make the most sense off the signing. But now with what we've seen, based on what we've heard as well, I've, I've adjusted my thinking. It seems more like Tice is the guy right now, even though I'm not sure that position is going to be all that fluid over the course of the year. I think all these guys are going to get an opportunity. But out of the gate, who do you think gets the first shot? Is it Tice? Yeah, that's where I am now, too. I thought it was going to be cancer as well. I was fairly certain that that was the plan, was he would come in, he'd start, he'd play maybe the first seven, eight minutes, and then go to the bench, and then you'd see him for, you know, seven, eight more minutes in the second half, maybe, you know, ten each half or so, and that would be about it. We know Stevens likes to go small. He likes to have his defense be very interchangeable, where guys can move around and do a lot of different things, and cancer does not bring that. He's not you know, someone you're going to switch things with. Tice can do that. We've seen that several times in these last two preseason games. He's done a really good job getting in front of the guards and then switching. And then more importantly to Boston, the way they play is the switch backs to get back out of those mismatches when the ball swings to the other side. He's very adept at that. So I think he's going to get that call. And I know people are like, he's six eight and all that, but it's not always about size and shot blocking at that position. It's good positional defense. It's being able to move your feet. It's being able to get out on shooters. You know, yeah, if Joel Embiid gets, you know, 10, 20 post touches against Tice, he's going to eat down there. And then that's when they'll have to switch and they'll do other things on opening night. But for the most part, I think right now Tice probably is the best option. How should Stevens be looking to use these guys, you think? Yeah, I think what the goal is is that Tice opens the game and then as soon as that opposing big is out, then or if it's a more offensive-minded guy it comes out of the game, then that's when you bring Cantor in because I think Cantor, the hope is he can kind of stabilize and really do things on that second unit. We've seen him do that now for a couple of years, uh, both with Portland at the uh, end of last season, even though he ended up starting there after Nurkic got hurt. But we also saw him do that, you know, quite effectively with Oklahoma City for years. He was really kind of their their stabilizing force on that second unit. He's a guy you can play through. He's pretty good in the pick-and-roll game. He's good down on the block. So I think, well, what I've been kind of telling people is if you think about late uh, career Al Jefferson, where Mm. he was a weapon on the second unit, because you just dumped it into him and let him go against overmatched backup centers. I think that's what the plan is here for Ennis Cantor. Quick break just to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season, of course, is in full swing. Get to the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, BetOnline.ag. You can sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball, whichever it is. Every spread, every total, every winner, every loser, straight bets, parlays, teases, whatever you want to do all the way through the season. You can even bet on wild prop bets. I mean, who's going to win MVP? Will the Dolphins ever win a game? Doesn't feel like it. Get the fastest to market odds updates and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use promo code CLNS50 
to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Let's get back to the show. So with Cantor, he has said and done all the right things since his arrival, obviously. And, and I'm not even talking about, you know, all the number 11 stuff and the way that he is related to fans. Just the, the fact that he wants to be a glue guy. He wants everyone to get along. He believes in this team's culture. He loves all these guys, these rookies, the the veteran guys, loves Kemba. He, Hayward's going to be out of his mind good this year. He loves the, you know, those mid-tier guys who are coming along, those budding stars, Tatum and Brown. He... Thinks Brad Stevens is a genius. Go on and on. Only thing I wonder, and I don't even say this or ask this because I believe it's going to happen. I just ask it based on track record. We've seen him in the past, not in Boston, gripe over playing time when all of a sudden it starts to disappear on him. If we go from the expectation that Cantor's the guy opening night to all of a sudden it's Tice because it it mixes better with, with what Brad's trying to do and then maybe down the line halfway through the year, Robert Williams leapfrogs him on on the the depth chart as well when it comes to just the rotation and and all of a sudden it's it's not twenty twenty five minutes for Ennis Cantor it's fifteen minutes something like that is his tune going to change at all? Yeah, that's a fair question because he's never really been a guy who has been completely out of the mix. I, I throw that Knicks time away at the end of last season before he got bought out and moved on to the Trailblazers because that Knicks situation was just such a mess. It was. You know, and, and I think he actually handled that fairly well. He he was very clear he wanted to play, but that he understood what was happening there. But that is, that is a good question. I mean, you never really, unfortunately, know these things because it's very easy for everybody to say all the right things now. It, it hasn't happened yet, but if it does happen. Now, the good thing is, by the time I think it becomes a problem, he's trade eligible, and he's mm. got a very tradable contract. Every team in the league at some point is looking for big man help, and that you know, just around five million dollars. That's that's a very easily moved deal. Um, Danny Ainge can go find somebody to take that contract on, and maybe they can work something where it's, hey, you need a little offense out of the position. I need some defense. Let's do this swap. Or he's got a contract that could be part of a group where the Celtics could could do what I like to call pile a bunch of contracts together that are in the five million dollar range, and go get yourself a bigger name. And they're they're well positioned to do that as well. So think they. they that's not the idea right now. They didn't sign him with that idea, but that contract is set up to be that way if necessary. So Celtics weren't so hot defensively, obviously, in their preseason opener, but they have obliterated the Magic and Cavs over the last two games. Granted, again, exhibition play, but does seem like there's real potential there and commitment on that side of the ball, which was certainly missing over the course of last year, at least on a consistent basis. Still, I have heard plenty of people say or, or you know, criticize anyway that particularly interior defense, that is Boston's top concern entering this season after losing guys like Al Horford and Aaron Baines. Do you see it that way, or is there something else? Uh, I think that's probably the biggest concern. And again, I go back to let's not make this about blocking shots and those things. I think it's just being big at the rim, you know, contesting guys, making guys have to work inside. You don't want it to be easy. But what I think gets forgotten in that is just how long they are at the other spots. Hayward, Brown, and Tatum are so long. They're so fast. They can really cover a lot of ground. They're All three are completely interchangeable. And then as we saw over the summer, Tatum and Brown played five for Team USA at times and defended you know, the opposing bigs. I would not be surprised at all if you see those three, then Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker, so kind of at the uh, Team USA guys plus Gordon Hayward, 
at times in lineups if that's what the Celtics need because I think Brad Stevens now can say, all right, if it's the right kind of guys, we can trust. You're not going to do it against Joel Embiid, but if it's a more perimeter-based big or somebody who's just not a low-block monster, why not? And take advantage that way. So that's that's probably the single thing I think that that we're going to see Stevens get back to this year is we're not going to see, he mentioned in the clip, we're not going to see two big lineups really probably ever this season just because that's that's one that's not the way he's comfortable plus the roster's not really set up for it so those days of Horford and Baines playing together are obviously gone because they're gone but there's not two bigs I don't think you're going to see together and I think we may even go to no big lineups at times Mm. if that's what Boston needs especially if they need offense to catch back up in a game it's when you really need guys to worry about their minutes at that point (laughs) when they're not getting any yeah, that that would that's obviously the tough part. Not and I'm that maybe five minutes a game. Yeah, you 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 roll something like that. I mean, we we've seen Stevens do crazy stuff. You know, play no point guards. You know, right. there, there was that stretch. After Marcus Kyrie Smart at center. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's you know he he's going to do whatever it takes game to game. And the biggest takeaway I had from his time here in Orlando, both when we talked to him at shoot around, then before and after the game is he said at all three points, and then he said it again after the Cavs game, it's about mixing and matching. And that's going to be what this whole first month or so of the season is. They're just going to be, all right, who fits together? Who works well together? What can we make happen? And that's not just offensively. That's also defensively. Where where are the groupings that come together? And then, then they'll, they'll go forward from there. And I think, although this isn't a – there's not a ton of star – talent necessarily on this team because we're waiting for some of the young guys to develop hoping Hayward gets back so that star talent really lands in the Kemba realm and that but what there is is there is fairly quality depth of guys who are actual NBA players which is going to help because I think they're going to play probably 10 11 12 13 guys a lot of nights early on in the season we all know Jalen Brown is going to get paid next summer it's not going to be now they're not going to work out a deal in the next week and and look Call me a liar if I'm wrong. I don't see that happening. So he's going to get paid next summer handsomely, $20, $25 million a year, maybe more if, if he really blows up. And, and depending on you know how the season goes, obviously what the market is, and we've talked about that in past shows as well. So far, looks good. I mean, regularly attacking the basket, ball handling is much improved from where it's been in recent years, and he's confident. And maybe that's not having... Kyrie Irving around, maybe it's the Team USA experience, maybe it's comfort with Kemba Walker, maybe it's comfort in his own skin. It could be any number of things. It could be a combination of all of them. Do you expect him to take a big leap or have moderate improvement over where he was at the end of last year? I think there's going to be parts of his game that take a big leap and then other parts that are moderate improvement. He's already a pretty good defender. He's become a pretty good shooter. He struggled very early on in the season, but as the season went along, his shot was really good. But where I think the big leaps are going to come is with his handle. We see, we're we seeing him do things now <clears throat> that are making moves off the bounce that are getting him to the rim easier. And the best part of it is he's doing it under control. He's mm. done some of these things in the past, but he either runs himself into a charge, he kicks the ball out of bounds, he you know can't gather it because he's trying to go behind his back while also going through a guy. It's just all this crazy stuff. And now it's all finally – I think he's starting to – it, it always sounds weird, but coaches always say slow down to go faster. Hmm. And that's what I think's happened for him. I think the game has slowed down for Jalen Brown, where he can now see what he wants to do before it's, before it's happening. And that's allowing him to put it into play 
in a way that's much more effective. I think he's going to be very much improved as a passer. He has not been a very good passer his first couple of seasons, and I think that'll be really important as it goes along as well. Tim Bonteps wrote uh, an article for ESPN on Jason Tatum that, of course, has really taken on a life of its own, the need to break from any habits that he learned from admiring or also training with Kobe Bryant. Uh, As I recall, it was only one or two workouts. It wasn't like this summer-long thing a couple of years ago, but it did exist, and it's this is – this phenomenon, this fad, it's, it's come to be known as decobying. It basically boils down to getting away from taking mid-range jumpers, focusing purely on three-pointers, and, of course, attacking and drawing free throws. Tatum was asked about this and, and kind of took exception a little bit. I'm still going to shoot the mid-range. I've mean, <laughs> seen all the, the people talking about the decobying. Uh, Kobe didn't teach me any bad. Everything that we talked about. Um, and he showed me it was great. You know, last year, you know, the jump that I didn't make, you know, that everybody expected, it was not his fault. Uh, you know, he's one of the greatest ever. So uh, everything he taught me was, I'm very grateful and it uh, helped me. But uh, I got to take responsibility how I played last year and not being as the bigger jump that people thought. But uh, I'm still going to shoot mid-range. What do you make of all this? Well, it's funny. I was the one who asked him the question that led to that answer. Oh, so, so there you go. It was uh, so we have you to yeah, think. Was, um, yeah, right. So it was uh, you know, and, and and I asked if if he's if it's a conscious thing for him to to take better shots if he's focusing on taking three pointers or getting to the rim, and then you clearly saw what he said or heard what he said there. Um, I, I think with with Tatum is uh, one thing that I would come away with, and I was very impressed with is the fact that he's saying, hey, I'm not going to put it on other stuff. It's on me. This is about me, why I didn't develop to where people thought I should be. And it, it, and I think it was a little unfair because as a rookie, he did things with his efficiency and his shooting percentages that rookies just don't do. And that was almost at the bar to a point where it's like, well, this guy should be an all-star as a second-year player because we all assume development is linear. It's just going to continue to progress well sometimes there's pauses sometimes there's 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 you know jumps sometimes things go in a different direction I think he developed more as a defender last year I think he was a far better defensive player than he was as a rookie but offensively I think Jason Tatum was the guy who never figured it out last season I think Jalen Brown finally figured it out when he went to the bench it was I'm just going to come in these games like I was shot out of a cannon and I'm going to make plays Marcus Smart did what he did. Al Horford did what he did. And then Kyrie really was the guy who kind of took over and became the offensive focal point, which took that away from Tatum. So he came in as a rookie, as a 19-year-old, and was handed the ball and said, hey, you're going to make plays because if you don't, we might not be very good. And he he delivered on that. Then last year, there was times where I think Jason Tatum would go six, seven possessions in a row without a quality touch. And then you would see it was almost like, I got to get one up. And if what that one that could get up was, was a pull up mid ranger from 18 feet, that was the shot he was taking. And I think this year, whether he says it or not, I think you're going to see, we're already seeing it in preseason. He's either getting to the rim and he looks a lot better than that, or he's getting himself worked into open three pointers. I like the way he's working out of pick and roll. That's a natural evolution for him is to become more of a ball handler on that role. And I think that's going to be really important for him as we get into this season. So three games into the preseason, across the board, everything we've already discussed and more, what's your biggest takeaway to this point? I think they're going to be better than people are thinking. I think they're going to be fine offensively. 
think the defense has questions, but I trust that they'll figure that out. I, I go back to, I wrote this for Celtics blog, Brad Stevens built the defense that was based around Tyler Zeller as a major component. So if he can do that, that they're probably going to be okay. I, I think they've got enough other pieces that, that, that team that I was referencing, it was there. It was a lot of major minutes on that roster played by Tyler Zeller and um, Isaiah Thomas. And neither one of those guys is, much more, if any more, of a defender than guys like Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor. I think the rookie class is really good. I think Grant Williams is going to be a, be a rotation player, mainstay right from day one. I don't think we'll see a lot of Romeo Langford. I think you know he's probably in, in for a development year. But I think this team's going to be be better than people think. I've seen some folks say, ah, they're you know 500 team and they'll be out in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe that's true, but I think there's just as good a chance that this team is right around where they were last year, right? Maybe just a tick or two below 50 wins, clearly behind Philadelphia and Milwaukee. And then if things break right in the playoffs, let's see where it goes. Yeah, I had when uh, I had Mark D'Amico on last week and we were doing projections and all that, you know, the the kind of stuff that doesn't mean a thing when April rolls around. Nobody remembers these <laughs> shows. But, you know, I put them at uh, 52 wins, third seed in the conference, and second round exit. That's that's how I see things. So maybe I'm higher on them than most people. Maybe I'm right in line. I'm certainly in line with, with your average fan who's just so happy that last year and, and some of the dramas behind the team that they're all in on this year just out of likability and, and talent doesn't even mean anything. But I do think, to your point, certain things break right. There is that potential. But if, if you're forecasting this thing, wins, finish, playoff exit, where do you see it? Yeah, I, I think there'll be around 48 wins, so not that far off where, where you're predicting. I do think that they're going to be the third seed in the conference. I think the conference is a little more balanced out mm. this year than it has been in the past. You have Milwaukee and Philly at the top, and then I think a bunch of the other teams are closer. So I don't think you're going to get that third team to 50 wins, but third seed, and then probably a second-round exit at the hands of the Sixers or the Bucks. They're, they're just not quite there. They, they just don't have that talent level to get there. But I don't think the team we're going to see a week or so from now is a team we're going to see in uh, April when the playoffs start. I, th- I think Danny Ainge is going to make a move this year. I, th- I think he just – you, you know my world is the salary cap and the roster right. building and that. When I look at the way their salary sheet is set up, it's set up for them to finally really go in and make a big trade without having to – pay these exorbitant prices that have been out there in the past for guys like Jimmy Butler or Paul George or or those kind of things. And and we all know some superstar will shake loose and become unhappy by say Christmas or so. And it will become imperative that they get moved. And I think the Celtics are going to be positioned to go get one of those guys. I think that's going to be something that we really want to keep an eye on, you know, as this thing builds, we spent feels like two or three years so focused on, don't get Anthony Davis and save all the assets for Anthony Davis. And then the Anthony Davis situation came and went, and the Celtics were kind of standing with nothing. Um, and now I think it, yeah, it might not be Anthony Davis, who's being unhealthy, one of the top five players in the league. But if it's that next tier down, that can be enough to then push them into that, you know, contention to win the East and maybe even get to the finals. Do you have a name or two, a name or two that you've heard or have in mind when it comes to disgruntled stars? Yeah, nothing I've heard. All the stars right now are very much saying, like, hey, I'm where I want to be. I think the guy everyone is focused on is Bradley Beal because that, that Wizards team is really – they're going nowhere. It's it's going to be a couple years before they're back to anything resembling a contender. They've got the John Wall situation to work around where, 
you know, everybody's hopeful that he gets back healthy and can be something resembling the player he once was, but it's a lot of money over the next four seasons for him. They don't have a lot of young talent in the pipeline. So he is the guy that, that most people seem focused on to see, all right, is there, is there something going to happen there? Well, when is this going to break? I think a lot of teams, too, teams are looking at the Western Conference. The Western Conference is just so ridiculously deep. You could convince yourself that any one of the 13 teams that aren't Phoenix and Memphis can be a playoff team. And obviously that's not going to happen. Only eight of them can be there. So a couple of those teams that fall out of the picture, they're going to be looking to do something different. And I think though, those are the teams that, that other NBA you know, owners and uh, front offices kind of have their eye on like, Hey, can we go get somebody off one of those teams? So those are, those, those are all the guys that I think kind of keep your eye on this. They're, it's, it, it'll happen because it does every year. It's just a little less defined this year than usual, I think, because we saw so much change this past offseason. Getting back to this team, no disrespect intended, probably not talking about world beaters here, guys who are going to go on to have these these great NBA careers. Maybe there aren't any NBA careers to, to be said when all is said and done, but it is worth noting Max Struess agreed to a two-year deal. He'd uh, been on a two-way, so that opened up the opportunity for Taco to sign his deal, so you have him to thank. And it's a partially guaranteed first year, no guarantees in year two, and he is battling with Javante Green for Boston's last roster spot. Both are, are talented, obviously, in their own way. Green is a, a far superior athlete, but they can both play. How does this unfold, do you think, for that last roster spot? Yeah, that's the, the the one I think now. That that's really all we're watching for at this point. I, I know some people keep throwing out there, it's time to move on from Shemi Ojale and that. That's not gonna happen. Mm-mm. He this is a guy who's a you know, he he's one of the first guys off the bench in each one of these preseason games. I would be shocked if that's the way it went. So I'm going to just guess, just kind of reading the tea leaves and the way this all came together is that Javante Green has the kind of advantage for that last spot. And the only reason I'm guessing that is because Struess, it looks like from all the reporting that's been put out there, and I haven't seen all of the official numbers just yet as far as his partial guarantee in year one, but it looks like it's a amount that's roughly equivalent to what he could have made between his NBA time and his G League time if you combine them together. And if that's the case, then what that system is, that's the Celtics saying, hey, things changed on us. We had to keep Taco Fall. We couldn't risk losing him. But we want to do the right thing by by Max Struess. We want to do the right thing by keeping him and probably even more importantly, his agency happy and want to work with us in the future. So we're going to make sure we take care of him that way. Now, that said, that's before Struess went out and knocked down a whole bunch of three-pointers <laughs> the other day. And, and and one thing holds true in the NBA, just kind of, kind, of, kind of like Major League Baseball. If you have one specific skill that you can do really, really well in, in the NBA, and if it's shoot the ball, you're going to find a home. I mean, Kyle Korver, that's the, he's made an entire career like out of Joe that. Harris. Saying, yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying Struess is either one of those guys. Let's, let's not get crazy. But, you know, he's shown the ability that he can really shoot the ball. And that, that, that's something you might be looking at because coaches are always kind of looking at the end of the bench and saying – all right, what do we need? Who who can give us a little bit of a lift here? All right, hey, throw Struess in there. Maybe he can shoot us back into this game. Before we go, we can spend a couple minutes on this. Al Horford chatted with Steve Bullpett in the Boston Herald, talked about moving on from Boston to Philadelphia. And uh, some people interpreted shots in there. There were other things that were 
interpreted, I think, as as fact when in reality they were fiction. For instance, comments about uh, basically he was asked, you know, what if you knew that Kemba Walker was coming? Would anything have changed? Would you have been back? And he said, I don't want to get caught up in the past, but yeah, that would have been totally different. Well, where that doesn't work is in the numbers. You know this as well as if not better than anybody. It was Al Horford or Kemba Walker. The two were not Correct me if I'm wrong, but based on everything that's been out there, it's not something that could have coexisted based on, on the way the, the Celtics had to balance everything out financially. Well, not the way it came together, it could not have. But I had some reporting at the time that what the Celtics were looking to do was arrange a series of sign-and-trade deals, which would have allowed them to stay as an over-the-cap team, where right. what they would have done... Well, it, it, it would have, have... Not to cut you off, it, it would have basically sure. been... You know, Charlotte, Brooklyn, everybody with the with Rozier yep. and Kyrie, everyone would have had to be on board. And I, I guess where I and I should have mentioned that going into this, I guess where I say it was unrealistic is, you know, why would Brooklyn have done that? There was no incentive to to make the Celtics a better team by by taking on, you know, a, a draft pick or something like that just to get that done. So they could have brought back Horford, right? Well, I think if you're Brooklyn, you're looking at it as we're still getting our guy. We're going to get an additional asset out of this. And instead of making Philadelphia a better team with Horford, all right, Boston becomes the team we need to get there. And I think if you're Brooklyn as well, because of their unique situation with Kevin Durant, it becomes a point where it's, we're not doing much this year anyway. This year is not our year to, to get into the finals and those kind of things. We need to uh, push that out. It, that's at least a year away. A year from now, Al Horford's a year older. Who knows what he looks like and all those things. And then I think if you're looking at it, there's a lot of teams. That was one of the more eye-raising contracts. Now, Philly structured it fairly well where it's not a lot of guaranteed money in that last year. But there are people who are looking at it and this is the guy who's a 60-game-a-year player now. What's he going to be two, three, four years from now? And that's where you know everything I understand, and then I think uh, combine that with, with uh, what Steve Volpeck got, is it, it just wasn't – it sounds like the years and the money both didn't get there for Horford from Boston. It sounds like they could have gotten there on maybe the, the years, but I don't know if the money was ever going to be there enough. And then I think it just, hey, at that point, it was all too late to try and put it all together the way anybody would want to. The other more notable comment is, uh, what if uh, Kyrie Irving had stayed? And he said, I just think if Kyrie would have stayed, I don't know if it would have worked. There would have had to have been some major changes as far as players because it was just clear that group that we had just wasn't going to be able to coexist. I think that's very true. I think it's what a lot of us, all of us, said at the time. But my question is, is that more of a shot, do you think, at Kyrie Irving? Or is it the makeup of, of you know, the rest of the roster, some of the young guys? The fact that, you know, from, from what we've come to, to gather, again, what was speculated at the time, but we've, you know, come to basically learn it. Like, for example, Kyrie Irving and Jalen Brown, you know, it was oil and water. You know, there, there were just a that veteran versus younger guys or or experienced guys versus inexperienced guys, if you will, that was never going to mesh, which is exactly what Al is saying. But who do you think that's more on? Is it on Kyrie or is it on some of those other guys? I think that is Al Horford being a smart, uh, articulate guy. He isn't saying, I'm going to put this on Kyrie, but He's saying, I wasn't coming back and dealing with this nonsense either. And I think that's at his point in his career, he doesn't want to have to come in and be the locker room cop and be, you know, play the dad in the locker room. I know we all, you know, that's the joke we all make is Al Horford, you know, is the, the, the dad on the Celtics. And he was mm-hmm. the kind of steadying hand. But I don't think that's really the role he wants. I think he just wants to come in, do his job, play basketball, and, and win games. 
And I think that's him saying, look, this was going to be a problem. I think that's also him owning it wasn't going to be this way because if Kyrie came back and Al Horford came back, a minimum of one of Brown and Tatum, but probably both were going to be out. And I think that's also, if you put it all together, I think Danny Ainge's track record says, I'll go beat the Lakers off for Anthony Davis, and then we'll figure it out a year from now. That's that's basically been been the way he's operated for for a little bit now. So I think that's that's Al Horford saying, look, if it, if it if we did come back, it was going to be completely different. And if it wasn't, that's why nobody was coming back to this situation. Well, Keith, unlike last year, talking to you was always fun, and so uh, <laughs> we're, you know, looking forward to uh, I think what is going to be a uh, a more prosperous or at least more enjoyable Celtic season than what we had last year and uh should be a good time we'll look forward to talking to you again as the season gets moving too yeah absolutely and I just want to say one other thing about that with the fans being so behind this team and so into the team again that that is going to make a difference too because there's not just going to be this 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 unlikableness where the team where the fans are even just kind of in there I think by the end of last season that Milwaukee win was the that was the last you gave us hope, and then you pulled it right away. And by that time, Game Four was halfway through. I think Celtics fans are like, get them all out, <laughs> send them all away. <laughs> you know, I'm good. Let's just blow this thing up and start all over again. Yeah. And and now and now I think they've rediscovered their love for some of the younger guys. Everyone seems excited about Kemba and Gordon Hayward. Looks miles better than he did a year ago. At this time, I think that's really going to help. Is just the positive energy around the team. It was Fran Fischillo who said to me when they signed Kemba Walker, him being just in the gym, ready to work with a smile on his face every day, it's going to be a completely different experience. And that's what we've had so far. So I think we're all in, in for, even if the season ends exactly in the same place, everyone's going to walk away with like, boy, that was a much more fun season than last year. Yeah, I guess we could put it this way. If, in fact, we are once again saying this year that this team's success will be dictated by the mood of its point guard, then it's going to be a great year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that's fair. Keith Smith, thank you very much, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Always great stuff from Keith Smith. Again, covers the entire league for Yahoo Sports. He's, he's particularly uh, a must-follow during times of free agency and around the trade deadline and all of that and, and picks up followers by the thousands those times of the year. But the rest of the year is terrific as well, and, and in particular his coverage of the Celtics, which you can find all over Celtics blog and, and takeaways after every game and, and everything. I encourage you to follow him. Make sure find his stuff. It's terrific. And thank you for continuing to follow along, of course, with this show, Celtics Beat. You can subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you do. Of course, uh, just search Celtics or Celtics Beat. will pop right up. Give us a rating. Give us a, a uh, review. We always appreciate it. And most importantly, subscribe. Listen, you can subscribe to all sorts of uh, locker room sound on the CLNS YouTube page as well. We're everywhere. This show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% bonus. Thanks again to Keith, to uh, my producer Evan Valenti, to Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media. Of course, thanks mostly and always to you. Get me on Twitter. We'll keep on debating everything that we tend to do. At Adam M. Kaufman should be a fun season. Gets underway real soon. We'll have another show before that. Get into uh, more of the season predictions, things along those lines. Figure out who we want to have with us. But uh, Keith Smith, a lot of great insight today. Appreciate him joining us for this one. So enjoy your Monday. Hopefully this gets your week started on the right note. And uh, talk to you again this weekend. Gino, get us out. <laughs>